This is Josephine Walker. We're diving into the problem of domestic Last violence. Last night I heard the screaming, loud voices behind the wall. Another sleepless night for me, it won't do no good to call the police. Always come late if they come at all. In this audio clip that I'm about to play, it features a woman who was brave enough to get away from her abuser. She talks about the devastation caused by the hands of this man that not only left physical scars, but emotional ones as well. Thinking about it, going back, I think the worst was um, probably when he choked me to the passing out point. And then he just let me go when I passed out and my face hit concrete. I mean, I hit so hard it chipped teeth in the back. My son witnessed this. That in itself was enough, you know. But he almost killed me. And it's something you never, ever forget. And then knowing you're stuck with that person because you can't get out is the worst feeling in the world. There was another time he broke my left ankle first. And as soon as I got the boot off of that and was able to try to start putting weight on it again, he broke my right one. So I could never run when he wanted to beat on me. I couldn't get away. There were so many times we were going down the road one day. And I have no idea why he balled up his fist. And he's a good-sized man. He just reached over and punched me in the face so hard. I opened the door and I was trying to jump out of the rolling truck. There were some people in the car behind us that saw it, and when he turned into the media, I went ahead and jumped out to get away. And the people that were behind us, they they stayed behind him, and they followed him. They tried. They, The man in the car said, you know, I saw what you did. Why don't you step out and hit me? You know, why are you beating up that woman? And I don't even think he knew why. I just think it was so natural to him that if that's what he wanted to do, he did it. And I was defenseless. I couldn't protect myself in any way. And if I was ever in any physical condition where I could, he made it where I couldn't. My finger. I was trying to protect myself. He was, you know, those big long cords that used to be on laptops and they have that big long box on the cord. He was beating me with it. And I was trying to protect myself, and it broke my finger. And I told him, it's broke. Please take me to the ER room. No, no, it'll be fine. You'll be fine. And God forgive me for saying this. I used to think in my mind what it would be like just to beat him. That's terrible. But I just wanted him to feel the pain that he put me through. And not just physically, but emotionally. He would call me names. After he knocked my teeth out, he would tell me, nobody's going to have your toothless ass. And he never let me get my hair done. And then he would tell me I was just an old gray-headed old woman. If I put on makeup, who are you going to be a whore for? You need to get that off. I used to be so different. Six years ago, I was a totally different I was so different. I was kind and, and 
I know I can feel it myself. I'm a little bit more cold and reserved, and I don't... There was no strangers to me. I could meet people and get along with people and be happy and help. I love to help people. I love to help people. I've always been that way. I like to do things for people, and I couldn't. I never was allowed. Never. Today, she's about 55 years old, but so free compared to the chains that used to be wrapped around not only her hands, but her self-confidence and every bit of dignity that she had. As we continue the topic of domestic violence, my husband had a chance to sit down and speak with a woman named Anne. As were most domestic violence victims, are apprehensive to share their name. Anne has chosen to speak out. Anne's story started back in the 1970s when she was dating her abusive boyfriend while attending school in Knoxville. He took me into my apartment and beat me up all night long. At the time, she was a college student. And back in the 1970s, law enforcement didn't seem to take domestic violence as serious as they do today. We met with the mayor about what our legal rights were, and even the mayor said, you know what, they're going to rake your daughter over the coals. So the protection for her seemed pretty much non-existent. We're talking with Ann Hensley, and something that a lot of people probably don't really know about you is a past of domestic violence. Fresh out of college, 22 years old, met a guy that was just so cute and nice and We had a lot in common. We both liked to work out. He was a bodybuilder, and I was enjoying the physical fitness part of that. And we got to be friends and started dating. And I'll never forget when my parents first met him, they said, there's something strange about John. He doesn't seem like he's right. And I was like, oh, you got to give him a break. He's a nice guy. He's just had kind of a hard past. and He's a nice guy. So we dated for about six months, and I started seeing that too, just a little strangeness. If we got in a fight, he would jerk my hair to get me to look at him, or he would jerk my arm back into the car not to let me get out of the car so much that I had to run down the street and ask people to help me. I realized I had to break up with this man broke up with him and one night I was coming home late from work and I had my keys in my hand and I loved that I had my own apartment at this point had my keys in my hand and he was hiding in the bushes and jumped out of the bushes and grabbed my keys out of my hand and he took me into my apartment and beat me up all night long raped me held me hostage in my own house all night long How old were you when all that happened? I was fresh out of college, so 23 years old. Did that happen locally? I was in Knoxville. And so luckily, I I was in the hotel industry, and I had done my co-op at Opryland Hotel. So I started getting in touch with them. I was working at the Hilton in Knoxville then. And I started getting in touch with them here in Nashville, and... um, they, at first, they told me they didn't have a job for me, but within a couple of months, they contacted me and told me they had a job in their catering department. And I just look at God's hand all over that, that he got me out of that situation and um, helped me relocate to Nashville, but I was living in Murfreesboro with my parents at the time. One of the guys that I worked with in Knoxville at the Hilton, 
he contacted me when I moved back to the Middle Tennessee area and said, would you talk to this girl that started dating John? And I said, no, I really shouldn't get involved in that. I, I said, but if she wants to call me and ask for advice, I will help her. A couple of days later, I got this phone call. This is before cell phones, you know, this is back in the 70s. And I could hear her on there. And I can't remember her name, but I said, I'm here. Let me help you. And she hung up. Within a couple of days later, she called me back and talked to me. And I said, you are in a really bad situation. You really need to get out of there. And she said, oh, but I love him. And I said, I know. He's very charismatic. He's such a handsome, nice guy, but he is dangerous. And so she did break up with him. But that same guy at the hotel sent me a newspaper article several months after that where a woman had pressed charges against him for raping her. Did you ever press charges against him? I did not because I had been dating him. And this was back in the 70s when women women were like questioned about what was your involvement in that and why were you spending the night with this guy or hanging out with this guy or whatever. My parents even came up and we met with the mayor. It was Mayor Fulton at the time in Knoxville. And we met with the mayor about what our legal rights were. And even the mayor said, you know what, they're going to rake your daughter over the coals. Just get out of town. Get away from him. And so I'm really embarrassed to say that I did not press formal charges in the court of law. I did have a peace bond against him. That kept him away from me, just the peace bond that the police filed with him that said he could not get within 10 feet of me. These days, any type of case involving a sexual assault or an assault, it is a lot different today compared to a number of years back. Do you think there's still stuff that has to be done to make make laws even better or to allow for victims to come forward to make it easier for them? Well, education's everything for victims, and that's why I'm talking to you today. Um, I also volunteer for Portico, which is... Um, the abstinence training in the classroom, and I teach 7th and 8th graders about abstinence and trying to keep their bodies and their hearts guarded um, safely. And so that's one thing we talk about, and I tell them my personal story because I want them to know it can be anybody. At that age, you know, when you start through puberty, like 7th and 8th graders, and then through college, you know, you're looking for love in all the wrong places sometimes. It's very easy to fall victim to someone who is a predator, who does prey on weak women. And I'm telling you, I thought I was strong. I thought I was very physically strong. But I went like a wet noodle when he was throwing me. I mean, he could pick me up and throw me across the room. That's how strong he was. Finally, I just had to succumb because he was just beating me. My face was all beat in. I had black eyes, and I was really, really beat up. I just had to let go and just let him just be done with me so that I could get away from him and not be killed or something. So it was pretty brutal. Again, we're talking with Ann Hensley. So after all of that occurred in Knoxville, did you have to go to the hospital, and did they question you there what happened? I didn't go to the hospital. I called my boss because I was supposed to be at work the next day, and my boss told me she was a little bit older, probably 10 years older than me at the time, and she said, come up here and let's get some pictures. And I went to the office, and she got some pictures of me, and I didn't really have any lacerations that needed treated, but I was very bruised up and just so emotionally so damaged. 
resilient and strong in my spirit. And I'm so thankful for that because that kind of thing could really shut somebody down. And it didn't shut me down. I think it made me stronger. Did you ever find out what happened to that man today? I mean, do you ever keep tabs Uh on what's going on? No, I got so far away from him. And back then, you know, we didn't have cell phones and it wasn't as easy to track people down as it is now on social media. So I moved back here to Murfreesboro and worked in Nashville and I just stayed so far away from him. But he did get prosecuted. He did get uh, put into prison for rape of that third girl. Author Mary McCarthy once said, in violence, we forget who we are. In this next interview, Scott sat down with a lady who found herself at the end of a shotgun barrel. Amazingly, she survived and today she's an artist. A number of years ago, you were involved in a domestic violence relationship. You ended up getting married to the man, right? Yes, I married him. Actually, before I married him, he was a sweetheart. I mean, he was like the perfect gentleman. He was like a knight in shining armor. Everything was all about me. He gave me lots of attention and catered to me and was just very attentive. And then after I said I do is when it all changed. On average, nearly 20 people per minute are physically abused by an intimate partner in the United States. Domestic violence is extremely prevalent in the U.S. and it's prevalent here in Middle Tennessee as well. One in three women and one in four men experience intimate partner physical violence and intimate partner sexual violence and or intimate partner stalking in their lifetime. Those numbers are pretty high. What do you think happened? I mean, what sparked that change? I think that that's just what um, someone that is an abuser, I think that's just the way they do. Tina Chafin went through domestic violence. Right after she got married, she said the man that she married never acted in a way that appeared to be domestic violence prior to the marriage. Then after they got married, that's when the monster was released. I think they, once you're in the marriage and you are committed to them, then they know it's, it's almost like they think you're their property then and they can do what they want to. Did you ever look back to his history to find out if domestic violence was something that occurred in his family years ago? Well, I was around his mom and dad a lot and I didn't know that, but yes. The way that we later found out was after my hospital, after my accident in the hospital and all that, then his dad came to my father's house where I was and he sat there and wept because he felt like he was responsible because that's what he taught his son when he beat on his mother. How, how does it make you feel that so much of this is generational? It's sad, but it's also, we know too, by that, we know that we can make a difference. Education, knowledge, awareness, that can help to break the cycle that one learns from another generation before it. And in his case, he was fifth generation abuser is what his father said. Now you showed me a picture that was taken not too long after you got married. About what year did you get married and then about when did you actually go to the hospital because you got beaten so badly? Well, October, and I'm guessing that it was 96 when we got married, so October 96, and there may be a a year off there, but October 96 we got married. The first beating was in December because I put the Christmas tree up. He did not like the way I decorated it. And then the bad one, the head injury, was in July 
the following year. So it wasn't even a full year that we were married. Now, this man later went to prison, but one of the things you said before we recorded anything was that he hit you with a shotgun. That shotgun belonged, I believe you said, to his grandfather. Mm-hmm. He later hit another woman with that same shotgun after he got out of prison. It, it kind of makes me wonder, how often has that shotgun been used to hit a woman with over the years? And was it used by his father, his grandfather? It's possible. That may have been something that he witnessed and that he learned. As we know, a lot of people learn behaviors. And to me, violence is a learned behavior, and it can be. Now, when you look at the picture that is from when you were at the hospital, what are your thoughts? I mean, what goes through your head? I can look at it, and I can see my eyes. That's what I looked at is the one eye that is open because the other one's swollen shut. But it's such an empty look because that's how I felt at that time because the man that I that was supposed to take care of me you know um, and love me caused that and that was the first thing when I woke up in Vanderbilt that they held a mirror in front of me and said look this is what he did to you I went back to a third grade elementary level cognitively so I had to go through speech rehab and physical rehab and all of that for over a year so so back then you would have been about 30 years old or so 30 or 32 but you say the people in the hospital the medical staff they held a mirror up in front of you and they're the ones that said no my family i'm one of five kids and my dad my mom had already passed and they're the ones that did it because they didn't know they didn't they didn't have a clue what was going on i never told them because I was afraid that he would fall through and kill them, anybody I told, because that's what he told me he'd do. How long has it taken to get over everything that occurred back in the 90s? You never get over it. You never do. You learn to cope with it, and you learn to take what did happen and whatever feelings that you may start to have, like if I'm out in a crowd and I start feeling like I'm crowded and I can't watch everything and make sure I'm safe, I'll start to have anxiety and then have panic. So you just learn to cope with it. You know, you have to then remind yourself, no, I'm in a safe place. I'm with my friends. They're going to watch out for me. So, I mean, it's just you you never get over it. You just learn how to cope. Trauma such as what you experienced, I mean, it negatively impacts the brain in a way that will never be reformed or never be. I, I mean, there's certain aspects of your brain that will never be regained. Yeah. I figured those are the parts I didn't need. No, <laughs> no. I mean, you have to kind of take things lightly, you know, if you take it so seriously. But yeah, there is a part. My personality is not the same as what it used to be. I don't let people in as much. I mean, I grew up in the country. Everybody was your friend, and and now it's not like that. I mean, so you still, you still have to cope with things and still have to learn. It does change your personality a lot. Now, I'm guessing one of the things you used to cope with some of the past would be making jewelry. That and painting and drawing and any kind of art, anything to make things beautiful. You got to make everything beautiful because that's the way life is supposed to be. So you make a lot of stuff, it sounds like. I do. I call it mad multiple art disorders. So what about the jewelry? Because, you know, jewelry is something that is so specific for a woman you know it seems like it's a lot of times the woman who is the one who is the victim in domestic violence cases yeah that's true but i have met a couple of men that have been the victims and it's harder for them to admit because of their i guess more ego 
so it's harder for them to admit it but I do try to I just want to bring a little bit of beauty into this world and if it's something that talks to someone then then that's even better it's, it should have a purpose. It shouldn't be just go out and buy a diamond and wear it. And It should be something that has meaning, has purpose. Tiva has an art studio in her home, and she makes everything from silver jewelry to painting things. Like these. You know, so many people have no idea. And these are just simple little charms, but so many people don't realize what love is. And that's why I did this. Love is patient. Love is gentle. Love is respect. And love is kind. And I mean, if we can teach, if we can start teaching the younger people even now and get that in the millennials, you know, and let them know this is what love is, then maybe that'll help to grow, you know, a more healthy opinion or a healthy look at what love is. I don't know where you sell your jewelry and your artwork, but has it ever sparked a conversation with a woman who said, oh, you know what? Multiple times. And I was... Um, over the years, I've never hid anything. Even when I was bald from the head injury, um, if I went to the store with my family or something and somebody would say, oh, were you in a car wreck? And I always would say, no, my husband tried to kill me. I've always been upfront. I never wanted to hide it. I think almost one out of every two women have experienced it in some way, shape or another, whether it was emotional or whether it was physical. And it just kind of opens the door for them to start talking too. And then I also learned by talking to people like that, that my case really wasn't that bad. A lot of people's had it worse. They may be married to the man for 20 years. What about some of your other artwork? Um, oh, this is another piece too. This one's one that I wear. I don't know if you can tell, but it's a butterfly. And then in the center, the body of the butterfly is actually a woman with a long dress on. And the reason for that is because just like a butterfly goes through transformation, then so does a survivor has to go through transformations and stuff. Like you asked me earlier, how do you ever get through this? You know, well, you just learn coping skills. And so it's kind of like transformations. It's growth. On the butterfly, mm -hmm. how, do you, how do you put such detail into something so small? with really good magnifying glasses and real little tiny tools. <laughs> so this is what's called metal clay, precious metal clay, and it's a silver clay, it comes in gold too. But with it, it's sculptable, moldable, and carvable and stuff like that. So all of my pieces originally I created out of metal clay, and then I do a vulcanized mold and cast it to make multiples of it. You wanna see fun stuff? I do a lot of flowers, a lot of flowers. A lot of things about growth, like nature, is the, the best example of growing, and each of us have to grow. This is called Tree of Strength, and then we have Tree of Wisdom. So you, you made these? Yes. And then this is Tree of Grace, and then this one's Tree of Faith. I try to name everything so that, and of course I have a palm tree, which is the sea breeze. So yeah, everything has to have a name to it. Um, and I, I do faces, so that's Vinny. And this is called Bloom and Peace, which is a flower with the peace sign on the inside of it. I always try to promote peace, faith, healing, love, all the things that we need in our everyday life and that we need to show to others as well. I do have 
awareness ribbon and I did that not only for domestic violence but also for cancer awareness. How do you sell your jewelry? My website which is Tiva Jane which is my first and middle name tivajane.com and then I do different shows and I do exhibits like I'm going to be at the Brentwood Library the month of December and then I'll be Oktoberfest and different shows around Nashville. I see a leather bracelet over there. Yeah I do some leather too. Micro-sized drill press over there. Oh yeah I work with copper I work with silver I'll do some gold but the metal is so expensive so I'll stick with copper and silver but I I love I love all of the elements all of it leather I love wood I would love to be a woodworker maybe I'll do that when I grow up what about the grinder over there how how do you utilize that that is for polishing so let's say I make something out of copper or silver and then the edges so I use one side has a cutting compound on it and the other has a polishing compound so that kind of just brings the surface up better uh, smooths it out and I use a lot of hammers I use torches it's fun so what would you say to somebody who's going through a situation of domestic violence and uh, they don't know what to do or they think they have to stay with the person? You don't have to stay with them, but you've got to reach out. And the majority of the time people don't want to reach out. But the first thing I'm going to tell you is reach out to someone that can help you and let them guide you to getting all the things together that you need to get and then get out to safety. You always need your birth certificate, your driver's license. Things like that is what they usually try to take away from you. Once you do finally get out, what would you say about counseling and group therapy and all of that? I went to group counseling and also went to a regular, you know, by myself counseling, but I actually went for anger management classes and I was angry, but then my counselor also informed me that I had every right to be angry with what I had went through. So that helped me too. But group counseling worked probably the best for me because you start to hear other people talk about their stories and you find out there really is almost like a textbook of personality traits among abusers. I even did group facilitating for the Legal Aid Society in Clarksville after mine. And for a long time I would do public speaking, so I went and spoke to different clubs. I went the Lions Club. I spoke to um, churches and it helped me. That was one of my ways of dealing with it. You know, you have to be aware of it. You have to admit it. But you also have to know that you can change your cycle. You can change your life to be able to get out and to survive. And you did all of that. And now you've got your own art studio, which is your way of, of coping, I guess. Yeah. And for years, this year is the first year that I've devoted strictly to Tiva Jane, my jewelry line. Before that, I've, I've taught for over 10 years. I've taught medals. Um, I would go to William Holland School of Lapidary Arts in Young Harris, Georgia. I taught for the Middle Tennessee Gem and Mineral Society. So I always enjoy sharing, but now it's my turn to be stingy and to try to promote my own line and maybe come up with some new designs that really touch people with a purpose, of course. Just a-